Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Spin Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara McKinney, and today I have a very special episode for you. Today we are doing a full episode surrounding Taylor Swift, um, not just because of the news of her breakup with Joe Allen, but because I recently attended the Eras Tour. So um, I went to night two in Arlington. So I have um, a little bit of Swifty tidbits for you around that. Plus, we're going to talk about the breakup. We're going to do kind of like a retroactive deep dive on Midnight's to see if she left us any clues. Um, and yeah, so strap in, buckle up, hope you are a Swifty. And even if you're not a Swifty, um, I think that you'll still enjoy this episode. So yeah, buckle up. So obviously, we learned this week that Taylor Swift and Joe Allen have broken up. That was released on Saturday and Entertainment Tonight is who broke the story, which is an interesting choice. Um, considering most people like to drop their tidbits with like people, Us Weekly, Page Six, those types of outlets, entertain entertainment tonight, while like a reputable source is not usually like the top tier go-to um exclusive news tip outlet. So um that's kind of why it's just a little bit interesting that that's who um, snagged the story. But the news broke. Basically, every article, whichever source is giving the tidbits, they're basically saying that the split was completely amicable, non-dramatic, and happened a couple weeks before she went on tour, which this is interesting as well because there's been like a lot of speculation over like, what that means and if it's true, because it's very vague. It just says like a couple weeks before, but it hasn't necessarily given like a real timeline. But Taylor released Midnight's in October. I believe it was October 21st, 2022. And she kind of fed it to us as though Midnight's was like more of a collection than like an anthology album like um it's definitely autobiographical however she made it seem like these were a collection of songs that she's written throughout her career that have all been written like in the middle of the night and that's kind of how she presented this like it's like a themed album rather than more of like a chronological anthology album like her older ones like Speak Now and Fearless and Red, but different also from Folklore and Evermore, which she has previously claimed are not autobiographical. But I think it's a little bit of a mix because obviously the trilogy of like Cardigan, Betty and August, those do seem to be, you know, like a fictional story. But um, and then some of the other characters like Marjorie, whatever. However, Marjorie is her grandmother, so it's like it still seems to be like from this like real place as opposed to being completely made up. It's not like a totally like fictional story. To me, it seems like it's kind of like both. But after the news dropped of Joe Allen and Taylor breaking up, a lot of people were like freaking out on the internet. A lot of people were shocked. There's been a lot of different reactions. <laughs> Something that I've thought to be really funny is that Dumois, um, the like gossip, um, like anonymous gossip tip account, they have been claiming that Taylor and Joe have been married for like a long time. Um, and I've always thought that this was false. Part of the reason I've thought it was false is because 
well, most recently on Lavender Haze, she's obviously singing about like how she's not married. <laughs> like she, it literally um, is kind of addressing that rumor. So that's kind of interesting. And Dumois has also continued to like double down on that rumor and be like, oh, I trust my sources. Like they definitely had a ceremony, like whether or not it was legal, I can't say, but they had a ceremony and it's like, okay, well, whatever. They're not married. (laughs) The point is they're not married. I also thought that that line on Lavender Haze where um, she says like that 1950s shit they want from me. I've always found that to be really odd because a lot of Taylor's previous works have like hyped up the idea of marriage like she seems to be very much a romantic and like very intrigued by the concept of marriage so lavender haze was like a sharp deviation from that and i almost took it as like one of those things that i think every girl has done in their life any woman who is in a relationship with men at any point have been in a long-term relationship with a man who was just like really flippant about marriage. And so you like adopted that mentality because it was just easier for you to be like, okay, fine. Like I'm not into marriage or I'm not into anything serious or whatever so that I don't get my hopes up. Like it's more of like um, accommodating the man than like something that really comes from you. And that's kind of what the lyrics on Lavender Haze kind of seemed like to me. But um Maybe I'm projecting, but I am married. (laughs) So I don't know. That is um, just one song on Midnight's that I think could like use revisiting. Um, But Lavender Haze obviously is a very positive song about she and Joe for the most part, other than the the weird marriage tidbit. Um, But then some other ones on Midnight's that I think are worth looking at again are bejeweled number one um that's one that has always stuck out to me it's my favorite on the album which i think is basic probably (laughs) but um i love that song and the music video a whole lot bejeweled is likely about joe which we had all previously kind of written it off as being like a calvin like a post Calvin song that got like shelved because she didn't really write a lot of songs about Calvin. Um, First of all, the way that she addresses him in the beginning of the song, calling him baby love and baby boy, that is notable because the way that she addresses different men in her lyrics is usually like very specific to them. And she always refers to Joe as baby which is not like a standard across all of her exes, flings, muses, whatever you'd like to call them. So that's one thing that from the very beginning stands out is that she refers to him as baby, whoever the subject is. Then there's a lot of like imagery around obviously sparkling, hence, um, you know, bejeweled. But she talks about what, like when she says, I miss you, but I miss sparkling, that seems to be a reference to her missing her like life as a pop star. Cause she definitely like, she fucked off to London to live with him and has been like largely out of the public eye since then. Granted, she was already taking a step back from her like public persona because of her reputation era and all the stuff that went wrong with the Kardashians and Scooter Braun and all that stuff. So she definitely like took a step back from the public anyway, but it does 
seem as though she kind of stayed out of the spotlight a lot longer than she would have had she not met Joe. And so my speculation is that all of the privacy has been to appease Joe and that he's the one that really is like not comfortable with her level of fame, um, which is also what a People article came out on, I believe it was Sunday, Sunday or Monday to corroborate that theory. So I was already kind of thinking like maybe they weren't going to work out in the long term because he it really doesn't want to be with somebody famous, which is so ironic to me because he himself is famous. Like it's not like this is some regular Joe off the street. This isn't her like somebody who's on her tour as like a crew member. This isn't like her set designer. This is another famous actor that just is famous in a different country and is less famous. And he's so threatened by the fact that she's more famous than him. So I've always kind of assumed that this wasn't going to work out in the long run unless she really was willing to like kind of give up her career for him, which I think is like the worst thing any woman can do is to like give up their identity or like whatever it is that's very important to them in order to be with a man. I I want all women <laughs> to be with men who like them as they are and aren't asking them to change something fundamental about them. It's like you would be great if and I just personally don't think that that's enough for like a marriage or like a long long-term committed relationship. I'm honestly kind of surprised they made it these six years, but clearly she's kind of itching to get back to her career. And that is what I think that Bejeweled is actually about, is about her like really wanting to get back out there and feeling conflicted by this man who also isn't, obviously is not like wanting to like get married or like any of that kind of stuff. And then in Bejeweled, she also says, putting someone first only works if you're in their top five. And by the way, I'm going out tonight, which that's like my favorite part of the song. But um, I think that that is a really good look at how she feels or felt about like her position in Joe's life, that she's like changed all these things for him. She moved across the country for him. She's given up a lot of things for him. And then she obviously, based on this song, doesn't feel like it's being reciprocated and is like, what did I do all this for? I really want to go like feel good again. Um, so that's the way I'm now interpreting Bejeweled. Another one that's come up online a lot is Question, but I don't love that song as much, so I have to pull up the lyrics. So again, it kind of like connects to Bejeweled in that in the very in in the like first verse, she says, good girl, sad boy, big city, wrong choices. So that's interesting. <laughs> uh, she says, I don't remember who I was before you painted all my nights a color I've searched for since. She talks about miscommunications, blah, blah, blah. But then the chorus, which is the part everybody knows, which also a lot of people speculated this previously was actually about Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber, perhaps. Um, Again, like because she kind of presented this album as more of a themed album, album than one that had like that was like timely. A lot of people were searching for alternative meanings where it could be about somebody else or something that's been long over, that kind of thing. So then the chorus says, Can I ask you a question? Did you ever have someone kiss you in a crowded room and ever every single one of your friends was making fun of you? 
But 15 seconds later, they were clapping too. Then what did you do? Um, And then did you leave your house in the middle of the night? Did you wish you'd put up more of a fight when she said it was too much? Do you wish you could still touch her? It's just a question. So what's interesting to me is that like that first verse and the chorus, like don't go together. Like to me, it almost sounds like two different stories, if that makes sense. And like, obviously this is kind of like my brain as a writer where I can sometimes tell in songs when like, the chorus was either written like way before or way after the verses because they're kind of disconnected. And I feel like that's one of them. And then, but like the verses go together. Um, So then the second verse says, talks about being out of time, um, fucking politics and gender roles. And you're not sure. And I don't know, got swept away in the gray. I just may like to have a conversation. And the chorus again, then the bridge, which her bridges are always like very like pointed, I feel. So the bridge says, does it feel like everything's just like second best after that meteor strike? And what's that that I heard that you're still with her? That's nice. I'm sure that's what's suitable. So again, I'm like, a lot of people are like, online is where I've seen this. So I've been lurking on the Swifty Reddit. I like, I'm really scared to like post or comment in the Swifty Reddit. I'm scared of them, but I've been um, lurking, but a lot of them have brought up this song and um, commented on how they even like when it first came out, kind of raised an eyebrow for them. For me, this is one of her most like confusing songs and like very blurry. I don't know if I, I don't feel as strongly about this one as Bejeweled, but I think it is worth putting a pin in and seeing if we get more information that makes this one make more sense. One that stood out to me also on Midnight's is Maroon. A couple of things. First of all, she says something about laughing with my feet in your lap like you were my closest friend. She refers to Joe as like a best friend a lot in her lyrics, which I think is interesting i guess it's a red flag to me honestly when women call their men their best friends i'm always like that's strange to me <laughs> because like i love my husband and like obviously i love spending time with him he's my favorite person to spend time with he's really the only person i ever want to spend time with but still i think referring to him as my best friend is so cringy because like he's not my best friend. (laughs) Like he's my husband. See what she's trying to illustrate there. But I think to me, as somebody who's married and hopefully finished with all this, (laughs) it just is interesting to hear that like repetitive trope because I'm like, it just seems like what she liked about her relationship with Joe was how like easy it was maybe. Or how easy it seemed because he's like laid back and shy and not volatile, I guess, like her exes. But I don't know. I guess just like based on her lyrics, I've always been like, is their relationship just super boring? (laughs) Because she's always like, I don't know. It just, to me, whenever people say that their spouse or their significant other is their best friend, I'm like, that means your relationship is boring. I don't know. Anyway. Um... So she says, and I chose you, the one I was dancing with in New York, no shoes, looked up at the sky and it was um, the burgundy on my t-shirt when you splashed your wine into me and how the blood rushed into my cheeks, so scarlet. Um, The mark you saw my collarbone, the rest that grew between telephones, the lips I used to call home, so scarlet, it was maroon. So 
something that I've always found interesting about Taylor's writing is the way that she like really implements colors into her writing. And that's like some of her Easter eggs are really just um, centered around colors. For example, in the Bejeweled music video, she like gets into this like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory type elevator. So it shows the elevator buttons and each of them, there's 10 or something. It's all the albums. So I think 10. It's like all of her albums and each floor is color coded to the album it coincides with. And then she gets in the elevator and she pushes three, which is purple for speak now. And then the next one she does is five, which is like bluish for 1989. And so that's why people think that we have speak now coming and then 1989. So she loves colors. And so this entire song, obviously is about a color. It's called maroon. But it's interesting because it's almost like a follow-up to red. Maroon is like a darker shade of red slash purple. She has said before in a song, I thought that love would be burning red, but now I know it's golden. And so anytime she talks about gold, that's kind of a reference to Joe. She also talks about him being blue a lot and like sadness and like his eyes being blue, I guess. It almost feels like this song is going back on what she said about love being golden and not red. Um, and her implying that um, her relationship with Joe turned red again. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. This obviously could also be about like a, just a really old song about like Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, since he's who inspired Red, and it talks about being in New York um, in the chorus, which obviously is where she and Jake both lived when they dated, and now she is living in London with Joe. So it, this one's kind of murky as well. None of them are as like black and white as Bejeweled, I don't think. Now, obviously, of course. Midnight Rain and Would Have, Could Have, Should Have are definitely about old relationships. Those, I think, we can definitely write off as not being about Joe. But that was interesting to like go back and listen to again. I was in Vegas when it was announced that they broke up. So on my flight home from Vegas on Sunday, I listened to like all of Midnight's and tried to like dissect the lyrics and see like which ones I felt like were actually songs that were like leftover from various parts of her life, different eras, um, versus what was like more recent and she tried to pass off as old. Um, so yeah, I, a lot of people are doing the same thing with folklore. That's something I've seen on Reddit a lot. Um, for example, hoax is one that people are coming back to for me. Um, it's been peace, which I actually choreographed a solo to this year. So I've listened to it a lot. Um, peace is also a song I relate to a lot, just as somebody who has like a background of trauma and a lot of mental health issues. I've always felt really connected to that song because it's somewhat like how I feel about me being like a burden on my husband. Um, so that's one that I'm coming back to a lot because it is like one of her sadder songs. And yet it's like kind of coded as a love song like it's supposed to be like a, this nice song but it's really more like when are you gonna leave me because I can't actually give you what you want so in some ways it was foreshadowing in their context of him like 
clearly wanting her to not be famous anymore. And she's never going to not be famous. But in peace, she says, basically, would it be enough if I could never give you peace is like the main lyric. Um, But yeah, that one's very, very sad. Another thing that I kind of wanted to do is look at her last few track fives, which if you don't know, she always puts the song that she considers to be the saddest as track number five on her albums. Track five on Midnight's is You're On Your Own Kid, which is which is a very sad song. But a couple kind of Easter eggs possibly in this song are the very first line is Summer Went Away. And she and Joe started dating in the summer of 2016 when I think she was still dating Tom Hiddleston. Um, So her like three relationships there kind of overlapped. So it was like Tom overlapped with Calvin and then Joe overlapped with Tom. She was very secretive (laughs) at first about her relationship with Joe. And, um, but Cruel Summer is like the best one to look to for context on like that kind of like early budding romance. But I think that it's really important to note that she says Summer went away in the very beginning. And then she also says in that same like stanza, she says later on, he's going to notice me. It's okay. We're the best of friends. So again, with the Joe being her best friend bullshit, (laughs) she says, I didn't choose this town. I dream of getting out. Hello. (laughs) London. Uh, But then she's, this is where the imagery of being a kid comes back. And Cora says, from sprinkler splashes to fireplace ashes, I waited ages to see you there. I searched the party of better bodies just to learn that you never cared. And then she says, writing in my room, I play songs in the parking lot, I'll run away. The jokes weren't funny. I took the money. My friends from home don't know what to say. I looked around in a blood-soaked gown and saw something they can't take away again this one is very like coded this one's a little bit harder to interpret kind of like question um but i definitely think that there are some little tidbits in here that show that her like unhappiness or dissatisfaction with her situation being in london um and this song feels very lonely to me and very like full of like regret. So it's this one seems to me like she's feeling lonely in London, possibly. Just a thought. Then on Folklore, My Tears Ricochet is track five, which makes sense because that's the one that's actually about um, Scott, what's his name? The guy who sold her masters to Scooter Braun that she was close with. Um, that founded Big Machine Records and like kind of launched her career. That's what that song's about. Um, it is really sad. But then let's see, Evermore track list. Evermore five is tolerate it. Um, so and that one is actually one that I'm not quite sure whether it's part of her fantasy world or if it's real. Um, it is a really sad song. My guess is that that is not about Joe based on when it was written and like that kind of thing. But we do know that Willow, even though it is like a grown up version of Cardigan, um, is about Joe. Gold Rush is said to be about Joe. And then Happiness and Long Story Short are definitely autobiographical, but Tolerate It is a little bit gray. Because um, it's basically about a like person in a long term relationship, which you like. I think you assume they're married in the song. She and the narrator is talking about how she like loves her husband still, but her husband now just tolerates her, doesn't love her anymore, 
and how they're just like in this marriage that no longer has any love. Um, so that is a really soft talk. So basically track five on Midnight's is the only one that's like eligible for <laughs> speculation that it is about Joe. I do think that um, Delicate is track five on um, Reputation. Definitely about him, but that's about the very beginning of their relationship. So as you can see, my nails are still purple. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but my <laughs> nails are still purple from my outfit for the Eras tour. I dressed kind of midnight speak now-ish themed, um, and it was really fun. But I want to give a little bit of a recap for the concert without like spoiling it for anybody who's going in different cities. Um, it was incredible. I went, like I said, night two of Arlington, and um, the secret songs she played were Clean and Death by a Thousand Cuts. So that was like a really, really good <laughs> night for secret songs. As I'm recording it, or recording this, um, she played in Tampa last night for her first night of like three. I don't know. Um, and the secret songs she did last night were Speak Now and oh, what was the other one? Okay, so last night she performed Speak Now and Treacherous as her se secret songs in Tampa. So there's always two and they're both acoustic. Um, she does like one on guitar and one on the piano. My favorite part of the concert, to be honest with you, all the outfit changes. She changes so much and they're incredible outfits. They're designed by Versace. They're designed by Oscar de la Renta. They, they're incredible. And it's like each show she has different colors, like different versions of the same costume, which is brilliant. So they can like wash them you know, and they, they don't have to like turn it around so quickly. She has like these beautiful um, beaded leotards that she wears that I believe are, those are the Oscar de la Renta pieces, I'm pretty sure. And they are spectacular. I mean, like they're the most beautiful pieces of stage wear I've ever seen. That enough is reason to go to the concert. Like even if you don't like Taylor Swift's music, like go just for the outfits because gorgeous. Some interesting things to note is that she um, only does one song on the regular set list, one song from Speak Now and one song from Taylor Swift. I don't think it's that weird that she only does one song from Taylor Swift only because it was like, that's her countryest album. So I do think that like with the rest of the set and the rest of the songs, like it would be a little out of place. So I don't know. I'm not reading into that one as much as reading into her only doing one song from Speak Now, which is Enchanted. And she has a whole entire outfit change for just Enchanted. She has like... And this week, it actually was a different dress than she did, than she wore in Scottsdale, Vegas, and Dallas. So I don't know. <laughs> but um, so she does this whole extravagant set and has this beautiful ball gown that she wears for Enchanted, but it's just the one song off Speak Now. And then she's like, all right, red. <laughs> it's like, okay, which. I take that as a sign that Speak Now is what's coming next, and she doesn't want to spoil whatever surprises she has, um, including, like, you know, the different, like, they totally remaster it. Um, I, we learned that with Fearless and Red, but um, 
obviously she released fearless i think just like coming out of the pandemic so she didn't really do any promo for it or anything she kind of just dropped it um and then red had more of a like promotional aspect behind it but she really pushed the like all too well 10 minute version but now with speak now like and 1989 a but speak now in particular, it's been so long since it was first released. Her voice sounds different. Like she's switched genres. So I think we can assume that speak now Taylor's version is going to be like quite different from the original version, which I think is why she didn't want to show her hand by um, playing these like new versions at her concert. Um, So I think she's keeping speak now close to the chest on purpose because it's going to be like, something shocking i think it's gonna be not what we expect from her but each section like each era that she does on her tour is accompanied by like its own set its own colors and lighting scheme um it's really insane how like artistic the production is um i think it makes like a cirque du soleil like experience um the dancers are also incredible. Uh, the dancers during the reputation era, you can tell that's their favorite part. You can tell that the dancers are like, I have waited all night to get to this reputation era. <laughs> like they are, they busted out. Taylor has gotten better at dancing. I commend her and whoever her dance teacher choreographer is. Um, they do a great job with her. She has started to figure out how to isolate. She she gets it. I'm really proud of her. So as a dance teacher. Good job, Taylor. I'm really happy for you. Um, Abby Lee Miller kind of shaded her. <laughs> but like, I'm here to say that I disagree with Abby Lee Miller's assessment of Taylor's dancing. I think that she's gotten so much better in the past 10 years or so. Um, another interesting thing that people on TikTok figured out, well, fans who went and then posted on TikTok, um, is that the way that she's entering her show is through a janitor's cart. So um, somebody like captured just like a video of somebody, them like wheeling a janitor's cart like onto the stage and like underneath it for her to come out of. Um, And they were like, there goes Taylor. I don't know how they figured out that that's where she was, but it was like confirmed that that really is how she's getting into the concert is through a janitor's cart so that nobody sees her. <laughs> so silly. Um, another really viral thing from the tour is her, like her stage dive. If you haven't seen it, literally pause this and go watch it right now because I cannot figure out how she's doing it. <laughs> like I was there. I've seen it. I've watched it in slow motion. I can't figure it out, but she's, she does a swan dive um, like from on the stage to under the stage. And obviously it like opens up or something, but still she's diving head first. <laughs> like, I don't understand how she's doing it, but then they have like a screen that like projects onto um, the stage where it looks like you can see her swimming underwater. It's like, they've got it like CGI to where it's like the color of her dress and it looks like you can see her swimming. And then she like pops up. It's so crazy. I mean, I, I just don't understand. I, first of all, I want to know whose idea that was. I want to know, please vanity fair. I need you to meet with the person who orchestrated Taylor Swift swan dive. And I need like a 30 for 30 on it. I need to know 
how the conception of the idea, how they figured out how to make it work, and then how they taught her to do it. And then I also want to know everybody, I want like backstage footage of the first night she did it on tour and everybody watching, like holding their breath from the team. That I, I need that. I need it in my life. Anyway, that was crazy. So some other things that um, fans have pointed out that they noticed um, and like, again, in hindsight, knowing that she and Joe broke up, some things that have come up are that at our show, the Arlington show, she switched out um, the song Invis- Invisible String from Folklore, Folklore or Evermore, um, which is a happy song about she and Joe. Basically, it's similar to Mastermind, where she's just talking about how um, you know fate brought them together, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then she switched that song out and replaced it with The One, which I think is awesome. Because first of all, Yes, the one is a breakup song, but it's not really a sad song. It's kind of like a hopeful song about how you're like moving on from this great relationship that is now over. And like the chorus says, um, it would have been nice if you could have, or it would have been fun if you could have been the one. Um, And it's basically just about, oh, gypsy. (laughs) Anyway, it's not that sad of a song. It's not even... It's not even a track five. Um, so I think it's funny, not funny, but I think that it's cool of her to switch to that song um, instead of something that's like gut wrenching and heartbreaking um, to like kind of signal. But she did that before the breakup news came out, which is also why, like, okay, that brings me to this whole other thing. A lot of people, um, including Dumois, which I think is where this is kind of like coming from. Dumois has kind of like indicated that Joe's team slash Joe like leaked the news of the breakup. Um, but to me, I think that it, it seems to me like Taylor knew she was going to be on a break from her tour and wanted the news to come out while she was not while she was like in between shows and like so to me it seems like a strategic media placement that was like almost a full week before her next show um because she was in new york partying also so i think she also knew she was going to be spotted out in new york i think she knew that um you know joe had been missing from her tour, which isn't that weird, but you know, <laughs> he wasn't there at all. Um, and I do think that like usually significant others will go to like the very beginning of the tour and like the very end, it's kind of weird for them to like pop in in the middle. So this would have been the time that we would have seen him at one of the shows. And then Selena Gomez went to the same show I did Arlington night too. So she's had other loved ones. Um, and like her parents came to Scottsdale. Um, so she's had a lot of loved ones around and Joe has been notably absent. So I think between that and the fact that she was going to be hanging out in New York in between dates, I think she just wanted to not have to deal with like the rumors and stuff. And like, so I think I think it was a very strategic um, news drop from Taylor's team. I don't really see the value for Joe, like why he would want to like leak news. Like, I don't, that doesn't seem like his MO, especially because he like is always 
seeking privacy. Yeah, so that's one way that she kind of hinted at the breakup before it ever even came out was replacing Invisible String with The One. But overall, it was a really great tour. My husband really liked it. <laughs> it was the biggest concert he's ever been to. So in all of the like pictures and videos, he's just like kind of like wide-eyed. But um, he had a great time. And um, I was really excited that he could come. But if you haven't gone to the show yet, if your show is coming up, I have homework for you. Please, as soon as it happens... <laughs> Well, I guess you can like get back to your car if you want, but I need you to tell me what each secret song is that she does. I need to know before anyone else what her secret songs are. I want to see if I can find any Easter eggs through the secret songs. <laughs> um, she, ha- she hasn't been dropping a ton of hints, but I have like been screenshotting all of her captions on Instagram when she posts because she almost always quotes a speak now um line like she'll say like I'm enchanted to announce or whatever but she also said I think she also quoted wildest dreams not that long ago pay attention to her captions because her Instagram captions are never an accident and so I'm wondering if the secret songs if they're paired up strategically or not and if you have any swifty fan theories please feel free to submit them join us on substack because substack now has chats and notes and so we can talk to each other through there if you have questions or if you have theories or anything you want me to talk about that's like the best place to put it that's where i'll see it the fastest i'm really bad at instagram dms if you're my friend you know that i'm really excited for the next re-releases. And I'm also excited to see if we get an album out of this breakup, even though, you know, people are theorizing that we already did with Midnight. Hope you enjoyed this full Swifty episode. I will probably do another one on Beyonce when her tour starts. Um, But she's honestly so private that she's really hard to talk about because she does such a good job of hiding from us all the time. Um, But that the clips from that really awkward Tyra interview are circulating again. And people are like, this is why Beyonce won't do interviews anymore. (laughs) So, yeah. But I'll try and do a full Beyonce episode when her tour starts. But I'm going to have to start digging up some dirt now. Um, But, yeah. All right. Hope you liked it. I will talk to you next week about more celebrity couple drama because there's so much going on. We've got to talk about Kylie Jenner and Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) In the meantime, though, like I said, go follow the Substack. Follow us on Instagram at the Spin Cycle Media. Um, Tweet me. Send me an email. I don't care. All right. Love you. Bye. (laughs) 